I love that song we just sang. If you're not familiar with it, it's, um, it's a song that uh, Mary sang when she uh, was kind of tapped on the shoulder to be the, the bearer of Jesus. And I, I love it because it, it, um, it's just such a reminder to us that this mighty, majestic, powerful God chooses little people. <laughs> I think of uh, Chevy Chase and Christmas Vacation. Insignificant people like you, Clark to be uh, people who get to interact with him and be on his team doing some amazing things in the world. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today and how he interacts with us. Most of you um, know that um, I'm the cross-country coach at Central High School as well as what I do here. And my son, Zach, runs for me. And uh, this past cross-country season, last fall, we ran at the KU Invitational as much as I hated to be in Lawrence. Um, but at this meet, um, there's a guy named Jim Ryan who you might be familiar with. He was the first uh, high school boy to high schooler period to break the four-minute mile back in the mid-60s. Um, and he ran at KU. So he was there at the meet and uh, had some of his books there and autographed this. It's a, it's a devotional book, a daily devotional book. And, and Zach and I have been reading through it together on our way to practice in the mornings this summer. And one of the things that he said the other day really struck me. I want to share it with you. Uh, now he's currently a, a representative, a U.S. representative in the state of Kansas. He said, being with my children as they grew up was a top priority in my life. I would always make breakfast for them in the mornings, and though my skills were limited to eggs and pancakes, we managed. Anne and I also emphasized daily prayer and devotions. Each morning over breakfast and each night after dinner, we would read the scriptures together and have a time of prayer. I wanted my children to know how much my walk with Christ meant to me. Now, most of you know that we live in a culture today where broken marriages and um, kind of just disconnected families uh, is the norm for a lot of people. Um, those of you that, that know my story a little bit, uh, my parents were divorced when I was three, and so that pretty much immediately limited my interaction with my father's side of the family. It was pretty much relegated to holidays and the occasional weekend here and there, so I didn't really know my dad's side of the family great. My mom's from Alaska, and so most of her relatives, my aunts and uncles and cousins, all lived on the West Coast. I had one that lived in, in Texas down by Houston, so literally, you know, a thousand or more miles pretty much from, from most of my mom's side of the family as well. So um, as I grew older, um, what that caused in me was just times where I was just really kind of starving for some sense of my history, like where I'd come from, the, the, the stories that kind of had shaped the lives of, of my ancestors. I just didn't really know any of that stuff. And, and as I thought about it this week, you know, the sad reality is, is that I don't remember a story that my grandparents told me. Um, you know, some of them, one of them died before I was born, but some, some of them died when I was younger. I, I can't tell you one thing about their lives that they said, hey, I want to tell you about this and, and to pass down to, to your kids. Um, and I don't know that any of them were Christians, and so there was definitely no, even if there was a story, it wouldn't have had any kind of spiritual heritage to it um, at all. So I don't know how many of you are in a similar boat in your life um, with that situation, but, um, you know, it can certainly raise a lot of questions in our life, just a lot of unknowns. It can raise just a sense of kind of loss, of sadness, um, 
But the cool thing is, as we're going to talk about this morning, is that it doesn't have to be that way for us. Um, one of the things, if you'll notice on your program, those of you that have been around a while here at Wellspring, our mission statement is to create a new normal for the next generation. And what we mean by that is that even though all of us or many of us may have been handed kind of broken models, maybe broken models of parenting or broken models of what marriage looks like or broken models of, of a spiritual life, that we can choose to head in a different direction. And that God can take some of those broken things that we've been handed and then he can transform them. He can do something new in us that will then kind of set a new course and create a new normal for our kids and their grandkids. They'll never know that it's any different um, down the road. We have that opportunity. We can begin now to kind of graft in Christ-centered traditions uh, into our lives. Um, Today we're going to be talking about the importance of, of passing down faith stories to the next generation. And for many of us here today, this will be kind of a new and an exciting tradition that we're going to begin in our lives. Most of you are pretty aware that biblical culture was a lot different than our culture today in a lot of different ways. For one, there was no printing press. So anything that was passed down, it was rare to have a handwritten piece of anything um, that you could actually read from. So almost all of history and tradition had to be passed down orally. And so people memorized um, their family tree and the stories that shaped not only maybe their family, but their tribe or maybe their nation of people that they were um, doing life with. And so you had to memorize this and you'd pass it down from one generation to the next. And one of the most effective ways of doing that was by telling stories. Um, and so, you know, when Jesus comes along and you read the gospels, you know that he was like a master storyteller. He had a way of communicating the truths about who God was um, the way that he wants us to live in a way that was easy to remember, in a way that was um, compelling, that people kind of walked away and kind of considered or pondered what he had talked about and remembered those things. So today we're going to be looking at a psalm, Psalm 145. It was written by King David. And in that psalm, he kind of challenges us to, to pass down things from one generation to the next. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles. Psalm 145, it's page 439. We're going to start by reading uh, verses 1 through 7. Psalm 145 says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty works. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Let's just stop right there and, and maybe just kind of give me some reflections or reactions on what kind of stood out to you in those first seven verses. Anything kind of catch your attention? This is my attempt to keep you awake on this sleepy, rainy morning today, making you think, heaven forbid, right? Anything, what stood out to you? 
Yeah, Aaron. Okay, yeah, he's setting the example of, of passing these things down, that he's participating in that as well. What else? Anything else? Man, I must have picked a really crummy psalm then. There's just nothing there to, to reflect on this morning, right? Anything else? Yes, Kit. It's a long way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's p other people can benefit so much from the things that we learn over the course of our life because God is always doing something. We've, we've never will arrive. There's always going to be additional knowledge and training and learning as we go throughout life. And what a kind of a storehouse of treasures that we have potentially. And, and, and who are we to hoard that and to keep that from other people that might benefit them? And, and you know, maybe even just if they just learn from our mistakes, um, that would be great. You know, verse 4, as I read through that, really leapt off the page uh, to me, and I put it on that little card that you have. I should have gotten this morning when you came in. Um, I love that. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. You know, as I thought about it, you know, people will always have the word of God. I mean, it's, it's going to continue on uh, long past us. And, you know, they will always have information about God, but apart from seeing God's truth lived out by people in each generation, then the Bible really becomes kind of a story without context. I don't know about you, but um, you know, my faith is strengthened and encouraged when I see real people who I know who are interacting and living out this relationship with God. And I'm seeing the things that God says that he's about and who he is. I'm seeing evidence of that in people's lives. And um, when, especially when I see evidence in my own life. I mean, how encouraging is that to know that, that God and I are interacting together and he's doing things in me. And I loved, and Aaron kind of mentioned it, the, those they will and I will statements um, that we see in verses four through six. He said, they will speak and I will meditate. They will tell and I will pro proclaim. So I think what he's saying there is that it's very important for us to hand down things from one generation to the next but there's also this part of each one of us. You know, he's, just, he's saying there, there, there are things that we're going to be passing down, but he says, I will meditate and I will proclaim. It's not just us passing down the stories, but we have a story and we have an interaction with God and things that he's doing in our lives that we need to pass on about, hey, this is what God has done in me, not just the stories I've heard from grandma who went to church a lot and really knew God. <laughs> But God is doing something in my life, and I want to be attentive and aware of that. You know, one of the things that I've really tried to bring attention to the last couple of weeks as we've been going 
through the Psalms is just that awareness of God's participation in the lives of the psalmist. As you read this, you can kind of see that David was looking for God's movement in his life. And when he recognized, yeah, God's doing something here, you know, he, he thanked him, he took the time, he stopped, he praised him, he wrote songs that we get to read today about those interactions and what he learned. He was aware. He was looking for God. You know, that's why a lot of times if you notice uh, at the beginning of services that that's, I kind of pray for that. And I, I want to kind of pass that on to you guys is just this sense of anticipation and expectation that not only when we come here on Sunday morning, does God really want to do something here? Does he want to communicate something to us and weave something into our lives? But every morning that you wake up, you know, God is there. He's present. He's trying to speak to you. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get you to notice what's going on around you. I wonder how aware we are of God's work in and around us. You know, I think it's really difficult in the culture that we live in, the the busyness and the pace. We don't take enough time to pay attention, to see the hand of God in our lives and our interactions. And I think that's why for us and our culture today, the, the disciplines of journaling, of prayer, of solitude, of really getting together with other like-minded people and asking good questions like, hey, what is God doing in your life right now? That's just so critical because we almost have to, in our culture, we almost have to force ourselves to create time like that. Whereas, you know, back in the day, people sit around at least from what I watched on Little House on the Prairie, there was a lot of, you know, violin playing and fiddling and talking with Paul around the dinner table, right? There was no movie theater, you know, not a lot of things going on. So they had a lot of time for, for that kind of interaction. We need to create a rhythm in our life for reflection or else it's very likely that we're going to miss a lot of what God is doing around us. And we need to be a people and we need to have people in our lives who are asking the question, what is God doing? What is God doing in your life? That's an easy question to ask when you get together with people, to really talk about what's he doing right now? How is he present? Because God is always up to something. So after setting this up with those first seven verses of the importance of praising God for his goodness, his righteousness, his mighty acts, his wonderful and awesome works that will be passed on from one generation to the next, David now begins praising the character and the nature of God in verses 8 through 13. Let's take a look at those verses. Starting in verse 8, it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts And the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures through all generations. So David begins praising God for a lot of the qualities that obviously maybe had meant something to him in his life. He had seen those things. What I noticed most about that section was that word all. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Not just those who would consider themselves to be Christians or profess to be followers of Christ, but he says that his care extends to every person that he has ever made. 
And it's interesting, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about, in that section, about loving your enemies. He says this about God's nature towards all men. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, God gives good things to everyone, regardless of their response to him. Jesus, in his own life, you know, you think about that picture of him washing the feet of the disciples. And the disciples, what I love is at the Last Supper when Jesus says, you know, one of you has betrayed me. They're looking around like, I wonder who, who it is. Because, because Jesus hadn't given them any clues on the way that he treated the disciples. He washed the feet of Judas, who was getting ready to betray him. He washed the feet of Peter, who was getting ready to disown him. And then he says, one of you is going to betray me. And they don't know who it is because Jesus didn't show favoritism. He loved them all, even though he knew some of them were going to let him down. That's the nature of our God. And his heart is that he would kind of wear people out with his goodness towards them. That at some point they would have to say, man, they'd have to turn their face towards him and say, all right, God, I quit. What do you got for me? In verse 11 and 12, if, if you pay attention to that, it makes it pretty clear that we, we, are, we are supposed to play a role in, in letting that news be known. It says, they will tell all the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts. That, that's our job, is to pass on the ways that God has been good to us and, and the truth about his nature. Let's take a look at how David finishes the psalm in the second half of verse 13 there through 21. It says, the Lord is faithful to all his promises, loving towards all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This section of the psalm focuses primarily on what God has done, specific ways that he has showed love and concern towards his people. Um, one of the books I had to read for seminary by Walter Brueggemann, The Message of the Psalms, there's a quote in there, I think I have it for us. It says, Psalm 145 celebrates the order of God's creation, which not only governs, but surprises and inverts and gives unwarranted gifts to unlikely creatures. God's regal power is mobilized to care for the otherwise uncared for. The Lord, the King of kings, looks down on insignificant people like you and I. And as the psalm says, it says that he picks us up when we're down. He provides for our needs. He satisfies our desires. He comes near to us when we call. He hears our cries. He watches over us. God is constantly at work constantly caring for and providing for those that he created. This morning I was going through this, I thought of, of Psalm 121, which says that the Lord neither sleeps nor slumbers. He is constantly watching 
and, and on alert, ready to, to come to our aid and to care for us. Verse 18 and 19, it was kind of interesting as I read through that. It kind of reminds us that though he provides certain blessings for all people, there are additional blessings for those that call on his name and those that fear him. It's like he kind of gives us a bonus, some bonus blessings there. Verse 20 makes it clear that he is both loving and just. You know, that he's not a pushover, God. <laughs> that there are people who turn their hearts against him and reject him and walk away. And, and there are consequences for that as well. I think we have a tremendous opportunity this morning to begin creating a new normal uh, in our life. I want to go back to the story I read uh, this morning, that quote from Jim Ryan, where he said this, I wanted my children to know how much my walk with Christ meant to me. Do we share that enough with our family and friends? When was the last time we took some time to just kind of reflect on God's goodness towards us or challenged a friend in our life to do the same? My daughter, Kinsey, came home a couple weeks ago from church and uh, she had a piece of paper where she was supposed to interview a parent uh, and ask them about a, a faith story in their life. And so it was a great time. I sat down and I, I told her a story about something that God had done in my life that was really powerful. Um, and it was a blessing to share that with her. Um, would I have done it had she not brought the homework assignment home? Probably not. As much as we want our children to absorb knowledge about God by coming to church, the most important people in their lives, their parents, are the ones that they need to hear stories of faith from. They need to hear their parents talking about their interactions and their relationship with God and, and what God has done and is doing in their lives. Stories that encourage them, inspire them. Stories that then they can pass down to their children. Stories that spark an interest in them to begin being aware of what God is doing around them in the world, in their own lives, in their faith journey, wherever it might be. So today I want to uh, invite everybody to participate uh, in a, a reflection activity. And when you came in today, you got uh, this little card, if you want to pull that out. Um, if you weren't here, you can raise your hand and we'll grab some and, and hand one out to you if you came in, came in late. Um, but it's broken up into three sections that I want you, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to reflect and jot a few things down, okay? The first one talks about a faith story to pass on. You know, the story that I told my daughter, which is one of my favorite stories from my life, was uh, I was a, a junior in college, been a Christian for just a few years, and um, we were going on a mission trip to Haiti, and I had to raise $1,000 to go on that mission trip, and... Um, so I told my mom this, and my mom wasn't a Christian at the time, and, and I, I knew that when I told her that it was going to cost $1,000, she was thinking, how am I going to find $1,000 to pay for his trip? So I started praying, man, because I was like, God, I want you to show up, and I want you to provide all of this money so my mom doesn't have to pay a penny. And so um, I started sending out letters and praying, and the money kind of started trickling in. So... It was the last day that I had to turn this money in. I went to school in Springfield, and I went with this group from Branson. So I was going to drive down to Branson that day to pay off the rest of my trip. Well, I only had uh, $600. 
And so I wanted to get 200 more plus another 200 to pay my mom back so that she didn't pay anything. So I still needed $400. And I only had one other person that I hadn't, I hadn't gotten the money from. And it was a lady who cut my hair. And I just met her when I went down there to school. She'd been cutting my hair for a couple of years. So I called her that day. She said she was going to give me some money for the trip. So I said, hey, I'm coming in today. Then I've got to turn it in. So, you know, today's the day if you're going to give me some money. So I went there, got my hair cut. At the end, she sets this check down. She says, hey, I didn't know who to make this check out to. So I didn't even look at the amount. And I started filling in who it was to and kind of saw that there was a four over there and a zero. I walked out to my car and it was a check for $400. Um, And I remember getting into my car and I was probably about 20 years old and driving home that day. And I mean, my body was shaking. I was freaked out that God had like shown up that specifically in my life. And, um, and I remember just, I was just ecstatic. And I remember calling my mom and telling her and, and, uh, and just what a powerful story that was for my own faith, how much it encouraged me to see God really show up and, and uh, interact with me. And that story carried me for a long time. <laughs> um, so what I want you to do is write down just a faith story to pass on. You know, what, what is something that God has done in your life? And you don't have to write the whole story out, but just write a few words that would spark that, that you could really think, man, this is something I need to pass on to people in my life, a friend, a parent, a kid, whoever it might be. Second category is, what is who has God been to me? What are some of the character qualities of God that you've seen really show up in your life? You know, for me, one that really stands out is just faithfulness. I mean, especially in the last 10 years or so, I mean, I've, I've moved my family a couple times. We've switched jobs as I've kind of followed God to young life and now to planning this church. And the whole time, man, he's just been faithful to provide all along. So write a couple things there. And then finally, what is God doing right now? What is he doing in your life? You know, for me, he's teaching me a lot about pastoring a church and, and continuing to learn how to grow in that role uh, through different seasons of our church. So I'm gonna give you you know, three, four minutes of just silence, just to jot down a few things there before we move on this morning. Go ahead. You know, I, I think a lot about the, uh, the legacy I want to pass on in my life. And, um, you know, I really want my kids to sit around with their kids someday and say, let me, let me tell you a story about Grandpa Bob. 
great-grandpa Bob or however many generations it might pass down to. But I want them to have this, this heritage of uh, faith, of, of looking back and seeing examples of people in their family who have, who have risked, uh, who have stepped out in different ways in their life and um, lived to tell the story. Um, and I want them to have their own story. I want them to be aware. I want to challenge them to be aware of what God is doing in and around you, no matter how old they are. Um, I think the younger we start it, um, the easier it is for them to, to learn, to, to be aware, to be in tune with what God is doing. Sometimes kids are more in tune than we think they are. They could probably teach us a lot of things. Um, what I'm going to have you to do this morning as we take communion, um, for one, I'm going to ask you if you're willing to, to come up and bring this card up with you. I've got some, some tape on the, the corners uh, here of the, of the stage. After you take communion, you just uh, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, uh, and eat it. Take a piece of tape and just kind of tape these cards uh, up along the, uh, whatever that is, the wood is what it is, <laughs> um, up front. And, and we're just going to kind of get a picture of all that God is doing uh, in our lives, if you're willing to do that. Um, one of the things that I love about communion is that it's a story that's been passed down from generation to generation. And every time that we come to the table, we're reminded of Christ, who he is, and what he was willing to do for us so that we might have life and forgiveness and uh, eternity and all those things with him. Uh, it's a great story that's been passed down and we get to engage in and participate in um, and tell other people about. So um, this morning as we come, uh, one of the things that, um, you know, the Bible tells us to do when we come to the table is to examine our lives, to search our hearts, to come to God and say, Lord, is there anything in me that you need to reveal, anything in me that needs to change, any way that I've been acting, thinking towards others that, um, that you need to deal with today, that I need to come clean on and confess and allow you to wash and um, forgive me of. So let's take a minute uh, just to sit silently and just pray with God. Um, let me open our time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come to your table today. Lord, we thank you for this, um, this ritual uh, that helps us to remember your story, God. It's so important, God, that we never, uh, never forget who you were, what you did, what it means for us. God, I thank you for stories um, like David, the things that he wrote about his life. When times were good, when times were bad, you were there in the midst of all of it. Lord, I pray that we would learn to praise you, learn to be aware of what you're doing in good seasons and bad seasons of our life, God. We would be open to allowing you to shape us through all of it. God, as we come to you today, I pray that there are specific things, God, that you need to point out. God, that just need to be brought to the light, need to be brought to the surface and dealt with in our lives that we would be open to hearing that and seeing that today. God, as we come to your table, Lord, we'd really be um, ready to receive the forgiveness you have for us. God, just hear our prayers right now.